I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And welcome to Clockworks, a Legion podcast. The show where we talk about Legion. We tick tock <laughs> no. about Legion. No, 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 like no. Like no, no. clock goes because the no. time. Not doing that. <laughs> okay, so today on Clockworks, we're talking about episode six of Legion. We're going to give this episode the title, It's a New Day. This episode was written by Nathaniel Halpern and directed by Hiro Murai. Hiro Murai is perhaps best known for directing music videos. And uh, to flash forward, there's a section Ooh. of this episode that is kind of straight up a music video. Yep. Uh, Nathaniel Halpern, we've seen before, he wrote... This is his second episode of Legion. He wrote episode four, The Undiscovered, which was the episode with all the revelations where mm. we discovered what had been undiscovered. Mm-hmm. Um, so the last episode Nathaniel Halpern wrote was full of answers. This episode, maybe not so much. Less so. <laughs> Do you want to take us through a beat by a beat? All right. So coming off the end of the last episode, we are back at Clockworks. In a series of sessions, we see Lenny, who's now Dr. Busker, talk with Melanie, Patonomy, Carrie and Carrie, Walter and Sid. With Melanie, they discuss her inability to get over her husband's death. Patonomy is stuck in the past, dealing with his mother's death. Carrie and Carrie talk about themselves being so close, they're almost like the same person. Walter has anger issues, and Sid says that things don't feel real here, like it's a dream. Lenny sends Sid for her meds, and she walks the hall, seeing a door that is unlike the rest. She listens to a drumbeat on the other side, but is called away to get drugs before she can open the door. So... So we have this series of sessions that's really interesting. Before we go into session by session, which I think we should, Mm -hmm. just uh, this little sequence. So, So many things about it. The whole fact of we're being we're set back in Clockworks, mm-hmm. we'll talk about throughout this episode, I'm sure, but we should say something at this point about that, that it reminds me of the kind of thing that we saw on an episode that uh, normal again, episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, mm-hmm. or uh, the, don't know the title of it, but that episode of Star Trek where Riker thinks that he's in a mental hospital, right. or... It's a thing that TV shows do sometimes, where you're in a mental hospital, and was it all real? Is it all in there? You know, yeah, is it all? I don't think we are meant to suspect that they have actually been in Clockworks all along. I don't think there's no, any ambiguity about that. No, at all. I definitely don't think so. This is this is clearly an illusion of some kind. But it still is. I mean. Firstly, it's just a lot of fun to see all these characters in di- being different, being a different version of themselves. Mm-hmm. The Also, the way this is cut is also a thing that we see a lot of, but quite frankly, I just like it every time when, you know, they're talking to one character and then the you cut to another character yes. saying something that's ambiguous could apply to two and then we cut back to the other yeah, one so she's like, saying something I'm, I'm sensing a lot of hostility from you and suddenly it's not carrie carrie she's talking to it's walter and you're like oh yeah that makes sense that's who she's and that's yeah. not that's not a completely unique conceit that they're doing here it happens on a lot of shows but to be honest i always like it and they mm-hmm. do it quite well yeah i think the director does a really great job with this episode yes i mean the great directing through and we'll talk about that in other places through the episode too. Mm, absolutely so and i like a lot, even before we get into the details of each of these sessions, I like a lot the whole concept of 
I'm going back to what Oliver said about in a previous episode, what Oliver said about monster as metaphor. Mm-hmm. And here we have all the metaphors dropped. And what if their superpowers, their mutant powers were like, what are they metaphors for? Yes. Here we have them talking about the real personal trauma that their mutant powers might be metaphors for. Absolutely. And we're, it's interesting that we're working it in the opposite direction. Instead mm-hmm. of their powers as metaphor, we're using their metaphors as power. As power. Or, you know. Man, this uh, is, yeah, this makes for such an interesting episode because as the audience, I mean, I guess you could think that maybe they were there all along, but I think it gives you enough clues that mm-hmm. most people can figure out that they're not really there, but this is an interesting take on on their their life. Okay, let's get into it. Yeah. So Melanie is childish acting. Like she's got these like breaths in her hair and she's twirling her the first very first scene is her twirling her fingers around her hair and she's stuck in the past in uh with her husband's death. But Lenny is uh, do we call her Dr. Rusker? Let's call her Lenny. Let's call her Lenny. Lenny. Lenny is uh Lenny says that she's not over her husband's death and she's pretending he's still alive mm-hmm. and stuck in an ice cube. And it's, you know, first of all, the fact seeing Melody so childish mm-hmm. and so uh, insecure, we've seen very brief flashes of this kind of insecurity and mm-hmm. emotional insecurity. But yeah. it makes a lot of sense that all of Melanie's uh, closed off emotional self-protection the way that Mm -hmm. she they're all masking her vulnerability they're all masking these vulnerabilities and we see this and this is like oh this is what underneath this is what she has always Mm -hmm. been like and she looks about 20 years older like she's got wrinkled and sallow skin like she just does not look nearly as put together and no not at all and whatnot as she does in the first one i should mention also uh this room i went back and watched the first episode because of so many similarities and this room is precisely the same as the room right. that uh, Dr. Kissinger was in, so save same. for one small detail. We'll talk about it. But in a second. Um, and then, I mean, I'll maybe say this again when we're done talking about all of them, but I feel like in terms of Power's metaphor, like she's frozen her husband away because he's died and she can't uh, let go, so she imagines that he's frozen. Mm-hmm. And then when Lenny says, you see it, right? That you're the one that's frozen? And this is, I said a second ago that I'd talk about it later, but maybe this is the appropriate yeah, time yeah. to talk about it, that how good is Lenny as a psychiatrist here? Because mm. it seems like this, if this Melanie was the real Melanie, that would be a fairly uh, astute observation that yeah. could really be helpful. Yeah, I think so. That That's not untrue about the real Melanie, no. is that she's, hap- she's struggling with, well, with uh, Oliver not being there. And she's the one that's and frozen. She's the one that's frozen. Yeah. She's moving on and doing things, but she definitely, a lot of her actions in the episodes we've seen have been because she thinks that David can rescue Oliver. Especially in that back. immediately previous episode. Yeah. Like what we just saw yeah. was her being very defensive and denying it, but we could kind of, we commented on it at the time, seeing through it, that what she really wanted was exactly what Potomac accused her of in mm-hmm. the last episode. That exactly. She wants to rescue Oliver. Speaking of patonomy, yes, this I love, love this scene where he just starts talking about his past and gives this excruciating to the second detail of everything mm-hmm. he was doing when his mother died. And it's like you kind of at first it's like it was this, it was this, and then he's like, 
the linoleum had a chevron pattern and it was like 9.15 in the morning. It was just like, it's so, it's a clever way of showing his power and his, and uh, an illness that he's stuck in the past. And it's like, once again, it's, you know, take his power, make it unliteral. Mm -hmm. If you were to take this person and give them a literal power, it would be the power to live in memory. And that's Mm -hmm. what autonomy is doing. This version of autonomy. Yeah is stuck in the past, is revisiting the past, has complete control over his memory, apparently, mm-hmm. which is what we keep saying about Photonomy the mutant. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And Photonomy, um, when, when Lenny says, you spend a lot of time in this memory in the past, he says, I like to think I'm a time traveler. Yeah, that's interesting. Especially considering what we mentioned like way before was there's this announcement at there's this announcement at at Summerland advanced time travel class blah 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 and now Potonomy talks about being a time traveler like is there going to be time traveler letting in this show there's all throughout the show that set the setting in time has been very unclear mm-hmm. and Potonomy you know is Poton- is the real Potonomy literally a time traveler that does not seem impossible yeah. Well, mention what you noticed about the song. Well, and the song, he ta- he says that the song that she was singing as she was clearing out the dishwasher, singing along with the radio that was 99 Luftballons. Now, 99 Luftballons was released in 1983, which means if he was a child, uh, then what we are watching is something that is set in the present. Like, he has to be, if he was born, yeah, if he was a child in 83, and he's, you know, in his 30s now, Yep. Then it's That's the present. That's right now. Us, yeah. Um, remember back in the uh... ah, this drives me crazy. This drives me crazy because like <laughs> he said, it was the part. It was the forties thirty years ago. So it's just like the twenty forties or something weird like that. Like it's just is she? Time, I time is messed up, and I haven't rewatched it, it. Is there any chance that she said it was forty thirty years ago, forty or thirty years ago, rather than it was the forties? 30 years ago? Maybe. Maybe I could rewatch that and find out. In any case. In the, but it's really, really 70s and 60s The aesthetics clothing. of 70s and 60s, and here we have the first, or not the first, here we have another explicit placement in time, or maybe not explicit. We have another implicit placement in time. We have an anchor. Mm-hmm. Here we have an anchor that allows us to place this in time, and it's the first time that an anchor has given us the present as our answer yeah. of when this is set. I mean, it's just an alternate universe where, where I guess 2017 could be this weird 60s aesthetic with payphones and, oh, I don't know, whatever, I'll get over it, I'll still, I'm still mad about it. <laughs> I want to say a little about 99 Lift Balloons, though. The song uh, that she's singing, the fact that it's 99 Lift Balloons places it in time, but also, all right, 99 Lift Balloons is a song about, that tells a story. And the story in German and in English is different, Mm. but the theme is the same. So in German, it's a song about a military pilot mistaking balloons for a UFO and shooting them down, which then leads by accident to a 99-long year, a 99-year-long war. Mm. In the English version, you know, it's an upbeat, catchy song, and the title, the chorus is just about 99 balloons, but the so people don't tend to pay attention to the story. Yeah. The English person version is 99 red balloons, but it's basically the same story. It's about a 
shooting down children's balloons because they perceive them as a threat, which leads to nuclear war, which leads oh, to geez. the end of the world, and 99 balloons go by. Hmm. Um, both are about misinterpreting a threat. Yeah. And they're both about uh, overreacting to a threat. But I think mm-hmm. throughout this episode, we have misinterpreting a threat is something that is happening in this episode. Yes. But I would say in this episode, there's there. underreacting Yeah, they're definitely under, underreacting in this one, for sure. Yeah. Um, Carrie and Carrie, we don't get much of them besides them saying that they're, they're so close, they're like the same person. That they don't think it's weird that they want to spend all this time together. Yeah, and they, I mean, the big point of their section, I think, is the part where they say, who's it hurting? That's what I'd like to know. Yeah, who's it hurting? I don't know if I have much to say more about that. Yeah. Um, Walter is has anger issues, and he's, he was the last one in his class to develop, to yeah. go through puberty, basically, which is interesting. If that's the case... Um, you know, the common thing for mutants is that their powers manifest around puberty. So maybe he got his powers very late in life. Well, how you would interpret that? Mutant powers have always been a metaphor for puberty. Yes. So in the metaphorical world, we could say he developed his powers late. And in this world, uh, this version of Walter, he says, you know, it's not a race. Uh, <laughs> and actually, what a boy goes through physically and emotionally like that's good advice, Walter. But then he takes it to like, do I, do I seem less of a than a, do I seem like less than a man to you now? And we see that he's fixated on his manly, his mm, yeah. masculinity, and we see that going forward in the episode. And we can see maybe if we hypothesize that the mutant Walter developed his mutant powers late. Uh, and then he's making up for it it. and that's why he's obsessed with power he's why it's obsessed with hurting people and dominating people because on some level he still feels insecure Mm -hmm. because he didn't have power when other people did yeah and now he's trying to make up for it by really taking power when he can from other people yeah power is going to be something that's going to come up yeah yeah i'd say so um there's a statue kind of thing on the desk and this is a new thing in this office of two hands, just the hands themselves holding each other. Mm-hmm. No arms. No arms. And uh, Walter's the only one who touches it. He goes forward and like touches it. I don't know if that means anything specific, but it was interesting to note well, we that put- he interacts. With, he's, I mean, he's up and pacing and interacting with the surroundings. Everyone else is just sitting on the chair. Mm-hmm. We put the camera puts attention on that sculpture of yeah. the two hands, and it's. The kind of sculpture that is very plausible in a therapist's office, or in like a, I don't maybe not a therapist's office, but in like a feel-good yeah, kind of situation, and hands to each other. But I mean, it reminds a, me of Arrested Development. Yeah. It reminds me of when in Arrested Development they have the, the little statue of the little boy, and he's holding a hand, but the hand is missing the rest of it. Cause, yeah. What Arrested Development points out that I think this episode also points out more subtly is that they're disembodied. Mm-hmm. Those disembodied body parts are not, they're meant to be reassuring, but they are not reassuring. They're uh, disconcerting and uncanny. Yes. And so the hand that's not connected to anything, what we see with the two hands connected to nothing, is we see uh, the the representation of connecting but not actually but not connecting. actually connecting. A representation of two people yeah. connecting, but they're not actually. And, represent, and like that represents Lenny 
being this actually half decent therapist, but she's not real and this isn't real. And she doesn't actually want to help them. And she does definitely does not want to help them. And and in Sid's section, she doesn't really care about Sid. Sid is Sid, someone who talks about this doesn't feel real. It feels like I'm in a dream. And she's seeing through the illusion. And so Lenny just kind of brushes it off and sends her for her meds. Like she has a very short session with Lenny. And she not only has a short session, but like Lenny gets up and has a drink of water behind her and Sid can't see her, but we can. And Lenny's just, uh-huh, right. Like her facial expression. Yeah, it's boredom. By the way, I think we'll have reason to say this many times in this episode, but Aubrey Plaza, my goodness. Oh, she's so anyway, uh, but she gives in her face and in her body language while Sid is talking about how this doesn't seem real. You might expect Lenny, because we watching the show know that Lenny is the devil with yellow eyes and is the one creating this illusion. You might expect her to be, you know, worried that Sid seems yeah. to her, but she is not at all. No, she is like, she's, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. She right. knows she can't stop her. Okay. Yeah. Well, go get your medicine. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So when she walks down the wall, down the hallway, this door that looks like a door in David's bedroom, like this is the door that leads to the real world, essentially, we can assume. Sort of, yeah. It sounds like there's a drumbeat that sounds a lot like a heartbeat to me. That's mm-hmm. about, it's her heartbeat on the other side. It's David's heartbeat. What do you think? I think it's literally the drumbeat for the song that's going to play when uh, Lenny goes through, and we'll talk about that later. But it also definitely is a reminiscent of a heartbeat. And yeah. it seems like it's the plate. It's on the other side of that wall is where your, their heart is. And on this side, they're trapped in the uh, astral plane and a mental plane. And a, there's all brain and no heart. There, This is something <laughs> that we said uh, earlier to each other outside of the show. But what they, where they are is literally a mental hospital. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> yep. And the heartbeat is like also like clock ticking, yeah. which is clockworks. Clockworks is a clock ticking. It's a heartbeat. It's the drum beat for the song. Yeah. All right. So back in the main room of clockworks, Carrie and Carrie are playing ping, ping pong. Melanie's spraying flowers. And Amy is a cruel nurse. She spot checks Sid feeling up her entire body, even while Sid set, tells her that she has a thing about touching. David and Patonomy are staring at a drooling Rudy. Sid tries to tell them about the door, but Lenny calls David away for his session. In the session, David says that he's found himself, that he's found himself. And we see a montage of him playing records, doing yoga, reading, and painting. David isn't schizophrenic here, but has manic depression. In the cafeteria, Amy takes away David's pie. Sid tries to give hers, but Amy says no. When Sid tries to eat her pie, there are bugs crawling on it. Later, Lenny stands in her office and then breaks into a dance montage with flashes of previous episodes. So, so we're reliving these scenes from the first episode. Like this is straight up this conversation between David and Patami yeah, are it's exactly the same drooling scene from the first episode. And Patana, it's the same lines, the same dialogue, Patonomy delivering Lenny's first speech and like Damn. Yeah, he uh, does a good job of it. He does such a good job. Uh, that is a hard... I can imagine it would be hard to do that without channeling Aubrey Plaza's performance yes. because it is so strong and compelling and mm-hmm. uh, 
He doesn't deliver it at all the same way. No, all the I watched them line. side by side. <laughs> Very different delivery. Uh, and I mean, oh my God. I didn't realize the first time I watched this that that was Rudy in the chair. Mm. I just completely glazed over it. And frankly, I didn't know until we watched the episode after that, that that's Rudy who has been, who has disappeared in the real world. He was taken over by, by Walter and now he's just drooling in a chair. Yeah. So what is going on? What does this suggest about real world? Yeah, Rudy? exactly. When they're talking, when David and Potonomy are talking about Rudy, David says, you know, maybe what was he like as a real person? Did he have a credit card? Did he love dogs? Did he? And Potonomy says, everyone loves dogs. <laughs> David doesn't. I don't yeah, love dogs. I don't love dogs. Real world, Davey, real world David had his dog that he loved, but mm-hmm. he does not love dogs anymore. No, he sure doesn't. That's... <laughs> something that's telling something uh in i mean it's i think there's a bit of like for the audience to be like oh man he doesn't like dogs but there's also a level at which david is aware of what has happened yes, right exactly because he doesn't know where he is he doesn't know what's going on the illusion is working but he knows he doesn't like dogs anymore that's true there's something there's that's a hint of he has some kind of recognition of mm-hmm. the devil with yellow eyes, of Lenny, of King, of everything that has happened. On some level, it is impacting David. Yeah. And then... Uh, just, to, just to say a quick funny thing again is the square paddles are back. Yeah. We got the square paddles. Square ping pong paddles. Clockworks has square ping pong paddles. I don't understand square ping pong paddles. If you know, if they exist, send us some. <laughs> <laughs> No, don't send me a square <laughs> ping pong bag. I'm not I keeping it. The, I will put them up in our house because what is up with the weird square ping pong battles? I'm not having unnatural square ping pong battles <laughs> in my house. Thank you very much. Everything is circles except those. Why? <laughs> lots of circles going on in the background here. Oh, yes, lots. Um, when, um, speaking of callbacks to previous episodes, Sid comes up and talks to them about the door uh, and... David talks about pie, cherry pie, mm-hmm. right? Remember back in uh, Happy Jack, yeah, David basically pie. lives on cherry pie. He loves yeah. cherry pie. And Sid, at that point, doesn't eat any no, cherries. No, she doesn't like, I don't eat cherries. I don't like pie or whatever. And even here, I mean, there's a bit of a reference to that when he's so excited about pie and Sid's like, that's great. I know you really like that. Uh, yeah. But, and when David's talking about pie, he says, uh, but Paul has an inside track. He knows someone in the kitchen. Yeah. That's Potonomy. Yeah, so Potonomy's name isn't the same. His name isn't Potonomy, it's Paul. And that makes me start thinking, Potonomy. What? Why is his name Potonomy, especially if his name isn't Potonomy? Potonomy, by the way, is not a name that pre-existed. Or, I mean, maybe it exists somewhere. But when you Google Potonomy... This is the only thing that comes up, is Ooh, this character. Is, is Legion. Is Legion. Really? Patal- Did he exist in the comics? No. Oh. So it's it's uh, reminiscent of Ptolemy, mm-hmm. who is, you know, clear, lots of people are called Ptolemy, but the most famous one Egyptian is the Egyptian king. king. Yeah. Um, but Ptolemy, what does that mean? So in Greek, onomy or nomi, uh, noma comes from name, mm-hmm. and so something name, and mm-hmm. this is where we get words like astronomy, yeah, uh, name or the law of or study of. But 
and peto is throw or throw away. So patonymy literally means throw away name. Interesting. Which again, does oh, that is... mean patonymy is like, there's more to patonymy than we have seen. Yeah, well, he talks about how his dad couldn't remember his name. He would just snap at him. Right. So like, did he have to choose his own name eventually? And he chose this throwaway name. Yeah. Mm, that's that's patonymy. Mm. Um, so Sid sees the door and tries mm-hmm. to tell David about it. And as soon as she tells David about it, no, we should back up actually before we say that. Sid goes to get her medicine and Amy. Oh, yes, Amy. Why is Amy so mean? Yeah. Here, and then She's you talked about she takes away David's pie. Like, we can talk about mm. Amy in both of those moments. Yeah. She's this, yeah, extremely cruel, like, uh, ner- kind of like Nurse Ratchet in When Flows a Cuckoo's Nest. We said in our first episode, in our intro episode to this show, we said that, that Clockworks is not a One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest mental hospital. It's a 12 Monkeys mental hospital. But here, she's Nurse Ratchet. She's the cruelest, uh, most um, mm-hmm. it's really, sadistic kind of it's nurse. It's really fitting that she's wearing a black uh, nurse's cap instead of a traditional white one because it feels like she's the reverse of a nurse, like she's the yeah. evil nurse. And she, I mean, she feels Lenny up in like almost a sexual way. Not Lenny, Sid. Sorry, she feels she feels Sid up in almost a sexual way. Yeah, but also her butt. yeah. But also in a really cruel way, if you know what Sid's deal is. If you And Sid tells her, like, it's, there's a yes. note in my file I don't, like, I can't stand to be touched. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, yeah. clearly is doing it exactly to be cruel. And the look on Rachel Keller's face, on Sid's face, of like, oh, she's yeah. like barely containing, can barely hold it together. She looks mm-hmm. like she's going to throw up being touched. Yeah. And I mean, and yeah, and then Amy takes away David's pie in the cafeteria later. And she's acting like, all along, she's been acting like a motherly figure. She's been very maternal to David. And we've talked about whether, like, is David's mother dead? What happened to her? It seems like Amy did some raising of him in some ways. And here, she's like maternal, but abusive mother. Like, she's yeah. fixated on him. And she, and like, you're a bad boy. I'm going to take away your pie and eat it in front of you. Like a, yeah. not a, like a terrible mother. Well, and the, the major, the major cliche and trope of maternal behavior is feeding. Yes. Feeds when you're giving someone maternal characteristics, you make them feed. And so taking food out of his mouth is exactly evil mother. Yeah. And eating it in front of him. Eating it in front of him. And, and, the, and then when Sid tries to give hers, Nope, you can't do that. It's like the sibling trying to protect. Yeah. And no, you're not allowed to help help David. He has and she gives him no reason whatsoever. No. It's completely unreasonable. Yeah. And it's like, is this if this is an aspect of Amy, is she holding in some cruelty that we don't know about? Is this just Lenny messing with the relationship of David and Amy? And Sid, for some reason? I mean, and that's a, that's a question to ask about all these people. How much is Lenny messing with them, and how much is Lenny giving them an illusion, and then they act out in the way that they would act in this context, right? Yeah. Um, and that brings us to what I was about to say about Sid and the door again. Mm-hmm. How come Sid is the only one that perceives that things are wrong? Like, she can see the door. Mm-hmm. She is aware that it doesn't feel real. 
she's the one who's kind of pushing on things. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is kind of playing their part in the holodeck episode that they've been landed in. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's We're deeply in her point of view That's in true. this episode. So it's poten- there's a potential that Melanie or Carrie are seeing that too. And we get a little sense of Carrie seeing it. Mm-hmm. Male Carrie. Um, and more but, as the episode goes. And more as the episode goes, exactly. So I think part of it is because we're in her point of view, but I do think that there's we've seen so much of this connection between David and Sid. More mm-hmm. than just like they're a couple. She saw the angriest boy. She's been in David's head. She's been in, they had their whole quiet room last episode. Right. And so she's experienced this fake world. And so it's more, she'd be more likely to see the cracks in She's this more fake perceptive world. than anyone else about yeah. the fake world, but more perceptive even than David is. I don't know. I think David is so taken over at this point that we can, he can't function. And that brings us to when uh, Sid starts to tell David and Potonomy about the door, immediately Lenny shows up to distract. Yes. And, I mean, think back to the last episode and how much David under Lenny's influence was distracting everyone whenever exactly, they got close yeah. to something. We see that pattern continuing. Yeah. Right. And we saw it earlier as soon as uh, Sid was reaching towards the door, the uh, Sid Barrett... Warning, come to the nurse's office. Like, if this is all a uh, mental projection that Lenny is doing, then Lenny's in control of that. If, like, you're getting close to something, I call you away. Yeah, exactly. So Lenny shows up and takes David to a session, right as Sid's about to tell him. And there's a sense of, we said earlier that uh, when Sid talks about things not being real, Lenny doesn't seem worried by that. But when Sid starts telling David that things aren't real, Lenny does seem worried yes, by that. exactly. And intercedes to stop that from going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have David's session with Lenny. Mm-hmm. He talks about being, about his sense of balance, and he talks about feeling like he's in control yeah. here. He's happy. Yeah. He's so much happier than we've ever seen him in this. He has this giant room. For yeah. some reason. I mean, that's... He's got a whole, like, little apartment, whereas the rest of them are in their regular Clockworks room. We see all of the... I mean, we see everyone's room in Clockworks, and it's just like the rooms in Clockworks were in uh, Happy Jack, but David's does not look at all like that. He has books on the shelves, he has carpet, he has a huge room that does not look like a, it's, a clockworks room it seems like lenny is doing everything possible to make him as happy as possible yes to make him feel at home he has a home there he has a real space where he can do all these things where he can do yoga and play records and paint and all this stuff yeah and he specifically even like he's talking about being happy and he's talking about being balanced. And he certainly seems more lucid than we have ever seen him before. Like mm-hmm. you think about this compared to how he has talked to therapists previously when he's all twitch. This is him just as calm as he was when he was talking about the constellations. Yes, um, true. But he specifically says he feels like he's in control. Yeah. And that's what Lenny, it's exactly what Lenny wants, is for him to feel like he's in control when he isn't. And there's a lot of irony to the fact that he feels so in control when he's really not in control. Yes. He's completely controlled, not controlling. Mm-hmm. Well, and he says, I feel in control here. 
And she says, do you ever worry that you'll lose it? Yeah. So is that, why is she bringing that up? Is that, is she trying to make sure he doesn't feel like it? Or why is she poking that? It Mm -hmm. seems unwise. Yes, it does. Like if her goal is to placate him and make him be like the lotus eaters, uh, why is she challenging that at all? I'm not sure. Except unless maybe it's just that she can't control herself, her perverse cruelty she, yeah she, she just wants, wants to hurt him at the same time i think so that uh, on some level she wants him to know that he is not really in control yeah and she wants him to be hurt and unhappy even though it's in her best interest to keep him happy mm-hmm. manic depression yeah. we'll get into this a little later as well i mean uh, david mentions it more a little later but we get in the session we find out that david doesn't have schizophrenia in this illusion he's manic depressive yeah, and why? I mean, it makes sense again from Lenny's perspective. From Lenny's perspective, it makes sense to have everyone in this world think that Sid is the one who's delusional. To have David think that Sid is delusional, so that Sid, like, it's a way of gaslighting Sid, so that she perceives that the world isn't real and it's yeah. labeled as uh, delusion. Doesn't really explain why Sid deeps things. I'm still not sure we've come to a satisfying answer of why Sid perceives things and no one else does. No. But why isn't Dave why isn't David delusional in this reality? And why is manic why manic depression of all things? Well I feel like manic depression, which of course now is known as bipolar, and they don't ever call that in this because it takes place in the past, supposedly. Except it doesn't. <laughs> no it doesn't. They play records, Paul, they play records. <laughs> <laughs> Not like they're playing CDs or mp3s or whatever bipolar is two mm-hmm. is the split in two and i think that lenny is distracting david by making him feel only two things he's either depressed or he's manic and the manic can be explained by lenny and the depression can be explained by himself when in reality there's a reason this show is called legion yeah he, there's a legion of things in his head and I think by the end of this season, we'll find out more. I don't, we don't know yet. We haven't seen the end of the season by the time we're recording this. But I think that Lenny wants him to think, the devil with the yellow eyes wants him to think that there's a dichotomy, that there is, yeah. there is David and there is him. But the show is called Legion and schizophrenia is multiple and multiple delusions. And I think that the multiplicity of it is going to be important. And it's something that Lenny wants to erase and make it just by. Yeah. Um, we mentioned in the last episode, the laughing children that doesn't seem to be either David or the devil with yellow yes. eyes. And yeah. 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 I think that's a good answer. Um, I think it's also just not schizophrenia. Yeah. And something he can want balance from. And it's something that can, that seems legitimately a reason to be in a mental hospital that isn't schizophrenia. Yeah, yeah, that's true too. Yeah, back to the pie. Back to the pie. When uh, forward to the pie. Forward to the pie. Yes, because <laughs> that is the next scene. Um, she when when Sid starts eating her pie and it's crawling with bugs and she throws it away. It's exactly like the bugs on the strawberries in the mental room. Yeah, and for all the exact same reasons, right? Yeah, the bugs are there to show that there's something rotten. Things aren't right. Things that look appealing aren't appealing. In the mental room, Sid never saw those bugs. The camera focused on them with creepy music, but Sid didn't see them. Yeah. Now Sid sees them. Yeah. She sees the 
she sees the corruption in this illusion. Yeah, again. And does everybody else see the bugs? Everyone reacts, but that's kind of mental <laughs> institution. She starts I, freaking out, everyone starts freaking out. <laughs> I feel like if you were in a mental hospital and you shouted out, there's bugs in my food, there's bugs! There'd be one or two other people there who would be like, oh, oh no! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe not, but I suspect. We have no experience with mental institutions, we should say, off the path. No, like, yeah, that wasn't and I don't clear. Think, and I don't think they <laughs> exist like this anyway. Yeah, in the way that this that Clockworks exists, I don't think has ever existed. Yeah, uh, maybe more exactly. in the 60s than maybe. now. Yeah. So, should we get into this awesome musical montage? It's the coolest thing. <laughs> so, Lenny, you know, oh my goodness. Lenny takes off her clear-rimmed glasses, mm-hmm. throws her head back, and dances. And her costume changes from, like, she's wearing this turtleneck and long pants. And she, she keeps the turtleneck. Well, the turtleneck, but with a cutaway with a with a different back. Yeah. So it has the same turtleneck front, but a different back. And then she's wearing, uh, like, a leotard bottom and fishnet stockings. Mm-hmm. And first of all, once again, Aubrey Plaza, like, oh, looking and being so amazing Yeah, she's this. so Her so strut. Yeah, with just like you know, confidence ch- turned up to eleven, turned up yeah, to seventeen. Well, and when you think about her on like Parks and Rec and other things that I've seen her in, she tends to play insecure, like yes. somewhat confident but insecure. And in this, she has no insecurities whatsoever. No, and it is, and she is awesome. She just, my goodness. And the, I mean, talking about seventies uh, aesthetic of this show. This is a music video from the 70s, the mm-hmm. like flat color cutouts walking around and the, the color uh, swatches, the aesthetic of this music video mm-hmm. is like, it looks like, I mean, this is a stupid reference, but it shows my f- familiarity mm-hmm. with 70s culture, but it looks to me like uh, that everybody wants to be a cat section in the Aristocats. <laughs> You know, like, yeah. color, it's all, like, color blocks. Yeah, and, and pop art. Pop art, exactly. Yeah. 60s, 70s aesthetic. Yeah. And she's strutting around, and there's a part where her she, her shadow, her silhouette, strutting across the screen splits into three, mm-hmm. and then they all catch up. And if you watch it, um, the three don't aren't all in step. Oh, the ones behind cool. run to catch up to the front one. Hmm. So they're, like, it's would have been slightly more complicated to shoot than just, like, split them and put them back together. She yeah. splits and comes back together. And then where she is, like, what is she... Yeah, she walks through David's memories and starts destroying things. And remember how the devil with yellow eyes was walking through David's memories. Yeah. And here, you know, we know Lenny is the devil with yellow eyes, and we see that again a few times in this episode she's just so much better looking and so we'd rather look at her <laughs> we would i would rather not look at that scary fatty guy <laughs> with the gross face and yeah and she's like trash she's has free reign yeah. over david's mind and david's memory and david's past she's just you know making herself at home oh, and she Sm- she swings from the noose that just that part just like my heart just like in my throat and she like swings from the extension cord noose that he made in that first episode and like ah oh, yeah i can't believe that and like Beautifully humps done. his pillow yeah but yeah swinging over the noose i was gonna say is her 
smashing and things in the kitchen, her walking through clockworks, those are all, you know, a powerful and affecting shots. But the yeah. swinging off of the noose is the yeah. killer. Yeah, it really is. is. In this little sequence. Yeah, it's just a fantastic little thing. And I can see where I'm not surprised to hear that the director did music videos. Cause yeah. This, yeah, this is a little music video right in the middle. Yeah, and, I think and a really good one. We'll, we'll always talk about the music at the end, so we'll talk about what the music is later on. Yes, we'll talk about the song and its meaning. So that night, David comes into Sid's room and talks about being happy and wanting to stay, but Sid says she can't stay here. Not even for me. The next morning, Carrie, no, the next day, Carrie and Carrie play checkers while naming drugs. Melanie stares out the window and comments on the weather. Sid speaks of her dreams, and we get flashes of the team being back in David's room with the bullet heading towards them. Carrie and Carrie talk about their own dreams, and male Carrie tries to explain the door scientifically. Carrie and Carrie walk down the hall. Male Carrie pulls a multicolored scarf from his pocket like a clown, and then leaves Carrie alone to go to the bathroom. Walter watches her from a distance, creepily. Female Carrie looks, but he's not there. They go to their separate rooms, saying that female Carrie can just knock on the wall if she's scared. In bed, an ice cube floats above male Carrie's head, and suddenly he's on the astral plane with Oliver in the diver suit. He tries to speak to him in several different languages, and then follows him into the cube. So first, the shot at the beginning of David and Sid in bed is the reverse of the same shot in Happy Jack, and it's so beautifully shot the inverse they're in each other's places Mm -hmm. they're in each other's perspectives yeah they're acting like each other in a lot of ways except that remember that that first conversation in bed was when sid told david that she was leaving here they have the conversation in bed and it's sid telling david that she wants to leave Mm -hmm. david saying we can stay here forever we can just be you know maybe they'll give us our own room Sid says, I can stay here. Yeah. So, you know, it's a reverse of the first time that they had this conversation in bed, but Sid still wants to leave and David still doesn't or can't leave. Mm-hmm. And Lenny has told David that not everyone is cut out for real life. And so Lenny has this hold on him of, you want to stay here. And she definitely has made this in such a comfortable place for David that he doesn't want to ever leave. And this is where, like we said at the beginning of the episode, that Lenny as Dr. Busker was actually a halfway competent or halfway convincing psychiatrist to the rest of them. But not, you know, saying to David, not everyone's cut out for the real life. You should stay for the real world. You should stay in this mental hospital the rest of your life. That is not uh, yeah. helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, that reminds me, though, that not everyone's cut out for the real world reminds me of something that we skated past way back at the beginning of the episode when David and Potonomy are talking and Potonomy said that's the lie that if we say the right word stand on one leg take the right drugs you'll get better and you'll get out of here mm-hmm. so, so Potonomy actually also is telling David no you're never going to get better you're going to stay here forever there's no before there's no after yeah Potonomy is you know also towing the party line that Lenny wants them all wants David Wonder, does Lenny care what the rest of them think? Yeah. But she wants David to stay here and be happy. Mm-hmm. And Potonomy is part of convincing David that. True. Um, uh, when they're talking about their dreams in the 
main room, Harry says he dreams about the an ice cube, and he clearly is dreaming about the astral plane and Oliver. And Carrie starts saying, "Yeah, I dream about you know that that movie Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea," and. She gets cut off, but she is also dreaming of the diver. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the diving suit is very Jules Verne and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Yep. So they are connected and dreaming of the same thing. Um, In before, the or in the Sid in bed at this section, before David comes in, she's dreaming. Mm -hmm. And we then, she talks about her dream later. And while she's dreaming, we see... On the wall behind her, like above the bed, the uh, headboard, we see a silhouette of legs kicking up. Those legs also appeared in Back in Happy Jack yes. over David's bed. While David, just before David has his uh, episode where he floats and imagines, or and sees, not imagines, where he floats and sees the devil with yellow eyes and things go red and he smashes things, you see the legs on the wall. Those legs are now on Sid's wall, and she's in the room that was David's room. Yeah, that's the exact same room. Yeah, I, I watched those scenes side by side, and they're very much the exact same room and the exact same weird, yeah, legs behind it. And that seems to be Lenny, maybe. Yeah, Did maybe they're... her dance? That's maybe person next door. It maybe isn't legs, but a machine of some kind is also what it looked like to me. I don't know. But it seems not. very much like legs to me. And it seems like legs kind of doing yoga. Mm-hmm. David does yoga when he's talking about being balanced. Right. There's those yoga legs on the wall. I thought of them. And uh, Carrie, male Carrie, does yoga right before he goes to bed. Yes. So, sort of. Sort of. Why is there yoga in this episode? Body control and balance. But once again, it's about balance. Yeah. And none of them have it. So it's demonstrating how they don't have balance? I think the legs on the wall are just meant to be... So it looks exactly the same as David's room. So we're we're remembering that exact same sequence from the very first episode. Right. As Carrie and Carrie are walking down the hallway, Carrie, male Carrie, pulls this multicolored scarf out of his pocket to make Carrie laugh or something. Or something. Oh, yeah. I feel like it's to distract her, maybe. They're not... They also need some distraction. And so he uses that as a... It's also maybe like part of like the whole thing is an illusion and he's doing an illusion. And it's a rainbow scarf. And remember, we have rainbow scarf here. Mm-hmm. We had why rainbow are there so connection. many songs about rainbows in the last episode? Yeah, that's true. And the rainbow room. And we had in Clockworks, we had a song about how Sid she's like a rainbow. Mm-hmm. We had she's like she a rainbow thing. While Sid and David's romance was growing. Right. So romance. So so rainbows are a motif in this show that we keep coming back to again. Yeah. I feel like one of the reasons that rainbows on this show in general is, you know, it's about a spectrum. Mm-hmm. It's about uh, a rain- a rainbow happens when light goes through a prism and breaks. And so it's about a broken view on the world and things mm-hmm. aren't cohesive like they should be. They're fractured. Yeah. But it's also about like what you said about uh, bipolar is about yeah. two, and rainbows are about many. About legion. And you see a, there's a lot of colors in this, these, the background, and the, everything about these episodes. Color is really, really important. There's also a bit of Bill Irwin, in addition to being an actor, is a clown. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's maybe a yes. bit of a him playing to his strengths there. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, Carrie goes to the astral plane, and we don't see what happens in this episode. 
No. He's there, and he comes across the diver, and he says hello in all these different languages. And I was reminded of that first scene in Clockworks in the first episode with where there's all, there's all these different languages, all these different words for welcome on the wall. Yeah, and now here... And now here he's talking to... He's trying to talk to Oliver using all these different languages. Yep. It's an interesting connection between that and this. It's another mirror of Happy Jack again. Um, Walter is stalking female Carrie. Yes. Right? So put that. Well, in the real world, you can call it the real world, in the real world, she was the attacker. Mm-hmm. She never attacked him specifically, I guess. No. Or did she? He shot her. Yeah, he's the one who shot her. He's the one who shot her. So there so is maybe this conflict. Is a, hmm. He's the one that shot her. Maybe this is a repeat of he's the one who's going to hurt her. Yeah. Yeah. And she's scared of him for that. Mm-hmm. So later on in his room, David paints a portrait of Sid while she sits reading on his couch. She talks about the hospital not seeming real, and David is worried about her delusional thinking. Sid freaks out that David is supposed to be the one who's schizophrenic and and leaves his room. In the hallway, Sid finds a depression on the wall that beats like a heart, and when she touches it, blood seeps out. It's gross. (laughs) (laughs) Lenny appears behind her and puts puts a pair of headphones on her with the sound of crickets. It immediately calms Sid, and she goes to sleep, floating through the hallway until she's on her bed. Autonomy dreams of his childhood, and Carrie wakes suddenly, scared, and she goes to find Carrie next door, but he's missing. Walter appears, and she runs from him down the hall, calling Carrie's name. So it's David is painting this picture of Sid, mm-hmm. and he's wearing this yellow shirt, and it's got paint all over it, but the paint is red. It almost looks like blood. Yeah. And it's blood on his, like, abdomen, which, if they were in the real world, that's where he's getting shot. So, so I feel like it's almost like this is him being shot. And she sees that and he's being shot. That. Um, Yeah, for sure. The Him painting her is another reflection of something that happened in the... In, um, Happy Jack, when they were first in their the little montage of their romance, she sketches him. Hmm. And now he's painting her. Now he's painting her. Um, is there I, is there significance to the fact that she's missing an eye in his painting? Painted her all, but there's one eye missing. Hmm. And I don't. I'm not sure. Well, I mean, what. she's the one who sees. She's seeing things, and if he yeah, if him is trying to make her not see, he's in his. He's trying to show, a, he's trying to create a version of her that doesn't see quite as well. Mm-hmm. And then he tells her that she's schizophrenic and nothing she sees is real. Yeah. And she talks about uh, the book that she's reading. Mm-hmm. I tried to catch what book it was, but I no, did not I could, succeed. I could never get it. She says it's about dreams. The way she talks about it, I wonder if it is uh, The Doors of Perception by Aldous Huxley. Oh, interesting. The thing that she says about it. I mean, there are, I'm sure, other books that would fit that. But that's my guess based on the things she says about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I mean, I don't know. It's it's all about the doors of perception. It's about acid and yeah. uh, meditation and that kind of thing. And I wonder, I mean, I don't know what more to make of it than that mm. necessarily. Yeah. Um, what is up with the bleeding hallway? That's super gross. <laughs> it is super gross. It's all silver. Like, it's not human flesh at all. And she touches it, and she sees. She gets a flash of when she killed Lenny, mm-hmm. and he's and she's in the wall. Yeah, and so it's maybe 
partly that that Le- it's maybe partly that that Lenny is putting this in her head that like mm-hmm. hey remember when you killed me I don't know does Not the devil with yellow eyes take the death of Lenny personally I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> No, probably not. But the silver, the silver instead of blood. And then Lenny appears and she's got the same metallic silver fingernails that Mm -hmm. she did back in the last episode. And she's wearing a silver vest. Well, no, the back of it is silver. The front of it's black, so you can barely see it. But she's she's wearing a silver backed vest. Yeah, she's wearing what looks like her her turtleneck that she's always worn. But we see from the back that it's a silver backed vest on top of it. Mm -hmm. So there, I mean... Yeah. She's silverbacked like a gorilla. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> be I don't think gorilla is where we're going here. <laughs> no. But there is like a metallic, uh, unnatural blood and unnatural colors and unnatural yeah. fingernails. And she's not what she should be. I don't know what is yeah. up with the silver specifically, but definitely silver is a color associated with Lenny in this episode and the last one. And that brings us to the headphones. You said earlier that the records are another sign that it's the past. Lenny puts headphones on Sid's ears and Sid hears something. The headphones aren't connected to anything. They're either Wi-Fi or they're MP3 built in. They have a cord to a little thing on her belt. They didn't have that technology in the 70s. The big headphones like that existed then. But a little portable thing that carries the phone. There'd be radio. There were portable radios back then. That's an MP3 player. It is so not an MP3 player. It's way, it's a big box thing. You're not paying attention. Okay. It doesn't matter. The headphones are very 70s. They definitely have a cord. Do they? Yes. But they don't always. Maybe they have a cord when she puts them on her head, but then Sid floats away in kind of a psychedelic thing and the cord doesn't float with her. Yeah, well, that's like not real. But then she's none still, of it's real. None of it's real. And she still has the headphones later in the episode in her bed, and they're still playing music into her ears. Well, yeah, because that's part of the illusion. The whole thing's an illusion. <laughs> doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's the same headphones that Lenny, the old Lenny, original Lenny, not extra crispy Lenny, has in Clockworks at the very first episode. She's got she's always listening to her headphones that are attached to her belt to this little box thing oh, yeah, that right. I assume is a radio, and and so that's a connection back to that Lenny. And it's a way that that Lenny uses to ignore the world around her, like in mm-hmm. circle therapy. When the circle therapy starts to be about things she doesn't like or isn't interested in, she puts her headphones back yeah, on, exactly, and like grooves out to whatever she's listening to that we don't hear. Yes, that's true. Um, and I kind of wondered whether it was even real, whether she was just listening to music in her head, but maybe she was. Maybe it was real music. Yeah. Here, uh, Sid listens to crickets. What is that? It's beautiful. Crickets. Crickets. Well, well we did hear in the, in the last episode there were crickets in the forest, and so it's like she's back in Summerland. There were crickets in Summerland at the beginning of that episode, and there were crickets right outside David's house, right before everything went down in David's house. Right. There were crickets again. Yes. So this third time in two episodes of crickets, and the song at crickets and a choir singing along with the crickets. Mm-hmm. And I have to just pause without deep analysis of it and just say that it really is beautiful like the music yeah the choir is singing going along with that those crickets is gorgeous yeah that put me to sleep <laughs> it is so in a good way beautiful mm-hmm. but it obviously has some kind of uh extra effect that lenny does apparently at this point lenny's obviously threatened by enough by 
Sid that she has to take her out of the equation. Yes. Needs to put this, you know, put these headphones on her and just like, okay, stop poking the bear, stop poking the walls and making them bleed, get in your bed and be under my control. The fact that the wall was bleeding, though, Sid didn't make them bleed. She, she walked past and the walls were bleeding. She touched mm. them and, you know, had flashes. And blood seeped out. Blood seeped out, but it was already a spot. Yes. Is that a sign that Lenny's mental control here is fading? She Maybe. She not keep this up for too long. Yeah. And in a scene we're about to talk about uh, soon, Lenny talks about it all being too much work. And we see here signs that it's too much work. Signs that Lenny can't actually maintain this. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Even the presence of the door from the very beginning. Why is that door there? Lenny wouldn't have put that door there. Right. Too hard it's to keep pushing it. through. Yeah. Um, we said early in our back in our intro episode when we were talking about things that this show reminds us of. We said Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, autonomy under the table, child autonomy under the table, and then adult autonomy under the table. Yeah, uh, that's straight out of that movie. Straight out of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and you know. With the same effect here as there, that it's very trippy and mm-hmm. very and messes with our perception of what is happening and yeah. where we are and the scale of everything and what, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Walter terrorizing Carrie is so scary. He's acting like a, he talks about being a wolf. He talks about eating alive. Have you ever ate something while it's still alive? Yeah. Oh, he's just like seriously scary. Okay. And Carrie can't find her other half, and she is so vulnerable without him. So a few things about that. First, uh, Walter's eating an apple. Yeah. Apples, if you want to make your character be creepy, get them to eat an apple. (laughs) I don't know why, but there is nothing a fictional character can do that's creepier than eating an apple. Usually it's eating an apple with a knife and eating off the knife. Well, I mean, that's extra, but just, like, put someone eating an apple... Have you ever seen anyone eat an apple on screen without it being unsettling and upsetting? It's because they're like, and you're biting, you open your mouth wide and bite right into it. And then what Walter is doing is, you know, but still looking, not at the, like staring at Carrie while eating an apple. Yeah. It's about consuming her. There's obviously an association with eating an apple in general of, you know, the Garden of Eden, which, Mm -hmm. you know, Tradition says that that's an apple. Yeah. Uh, so there's an aspect of sin and mm. predatory sin and yeah. uh, subtext of sexual sin yes. associated with apple eating. <laughs> uh, and then he comes along and he says, like, what big teeth you have, said the wolf. Red, red, the wolf doesn't say what big teeth you have. Red Riding Hood says what big teeth oh, you yeah, have. Yeah, he does. But why does he say, say the wolf says it? Because he really wants the... Nathaniel Helper in writing this line really wants us not to have any confusion that Walter is Little Red Riding Hood, mm-hmm. right? He is the wolf, and he's uh, threatening her, and he's threatening her in all the ways that Little Red Riding Hood is also about sexual predators. Yeah, um, and what exactly he is planning to do with Carrie is not explicitly said, but it's all but explicitly said. Yeah, he says young, but not too young. Yeah, it's like uh, Ugh. Ugh. so. It's, just, it's so creepy. I don't want to get like too into how creepy it is. No, but I do want to say, Harry, Amber Mid Thunder playing Carrie, responding to him so 
frightened and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And she, when she kind of puts a little bit of bluster of like, careful, I bite, but without any heart in mm-hmm. it, not convincingly, she just seems weak and vulnerable and frightened. Yeah. I have to say, uh, we've talked about the actors on the show and, and praised a lot of performances and we haven't talked about Amber Midthunder much. I had, I had thought that her performance was not one of my favorites. It was a little bit, you know, flat, flat. Her aggressiveness wasn't, was a little bit flat. Now though, I think that all along she has been what we see here. She Mm. has been frightened and vulnerable and trying to uh, project strength and talking about fighting. I got to fight. I always want to fight. I love to fight. And I don't think that, I think that Amber Midthunder has been playing it all along as she is beneath that, just barely beneath the surface. She's vulnerable Mm -hmm. and she's afraid. Anytime she's out of Carrie's body. She's afraid. She's terrified of her life. Yes. And that's why she wants to fight everything. Mm -hmm. And when I review her performance with that in mind, I like it so much more than I ever have. Yes. That she's just beneath. Just behind her eyes, she looks terrified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's something that has been there all along in that performance. Yeah. And we're seeing it in a new way now. Yeah. So Walter, as he's chasing Carrie down the hall, he's whistling. He and is. back in the last episode, when they were in Division 3, Kissinger was whistling and twiddling his thumbs. And it just kind of occurred to me when I watched this for the first time that was that Kissinger or was that Walter? We know that Walter has looked like other people. And we know... And we know that Kissinger was acting nothing like Kissinger. And we know at the end of the Division Three section of What's on the Other Side, Walter suddenly is there. Yeah, he's the only living thing left. So if that was Kissinger, if Kissinger was Walter... This is why he so wanted them to let him out. Mm-hmm. He so wanted them to like bring him along. He was, uh, as soon as they don't help him, he's super aggressive, misogynistically aggressive, yes. in exactly the way that we see Walter being in this episode. Yeah. And then the whistling is our last piece of that puzzle. I completely agree. Yeah. I think that is my current theory that what we saw in as Kissinger in that cage was not Kissinger, was not Kissinger at all. Kissinger was Walter. Was it Walter all along from the very start? Every time when, we saw every Kissinger time we in saw that Kissinger, cage? Was it actually Walter talking to Amy, trying to get Amy to confess to a friend? Maybe. I mean, he was, there is a, he was trying to get Amy to tell him about where, about what he knew. He's kind of, you can see it as he's drilling Amy for information, trying mm-hmm. to get maybe some clues of where David is from Amy. But on the other hand, he's very much more, seems very much more broken and weak uh, at that point than he does the next time we see him in that cage. Yeah, definitely. When we see him in that cage with Sid and Patonomy, he is not acting like himself at all. And so maybe he is Walter. Maybe it's Walter. Yeah. Be interesting. Yep. So uh, David walks down the hall and suddenly sees the wooden door for the first time. And now we kind of, the time is confusing here because it was night when Carrie was being chased and this is daytime again. So it's unclear about where, if he's just in a different part of the hospital or what. But he attempts to go through the door, but Amy appears and she tells him that he's unwanted and unloved and gags 
and gags to make him gag too, and he runs away. We see Melanie watering flowers over a tiny grave and then praying by her bedside. She suddenly sees Oliver in the diver suit on the other side of the wall. She pushes through the wall and follows him. At the end of a long hallway, she emerges from the mirror in David's bedroom, where they're all frozen in time. She tries to touch a bullet, but it burns her. She tries to move David and Sid, but she can't. Then giant eyes appear on either side of the mirror that Mm -hmm. I don't think she sees. In Lenny's office, David asks if she's seen Sid. Lenny questions his love for Sid and then talks about ants who have spores that take over their central nervous system. She steps on David's crotch and talks about power. She says Walter understands, and we see him again chasing Carrie down the hall. Lenny says she knew David's real father. She climbs on top of David, saying he couldn't hide from him. Briefly, she turns into the devil with yellow eyes. She says they've known each other since the womb. She chokes David and writhes on him, saying she only needs his body. Suddenly, David is in a tiny, dark box like a coffin. Sid is still asleep, but the, a, the diver comes and takes off her headphones. The diver opens his mask, and it's not Oliver, it's Carrie. And we cut to credits. So David walking down the hall and he sees the door. Mm-hmm. The t- illusion is cracking again. We talked earlier, only Sid could perceive that things weren't as they should be, but David is starting to see it. And is it because the illusion is cracking? Is it because he's believing what Sid has told him? Like, it's all mental, right? So if he believes that it's not real, he maybe can perceive that it's not real. And just like when Sid saw the door, something shows up to distract him. Mm -hmm. And just like when Sid saw the door, it was, you know, the medical personnel, personnel, we have that again, and, but it's Amy specifically. Mm-hmm. And is Amy willingly, like, it seems like too much of a coincidence that Amy shows up just as David's about to discover the door. Yes. So is Lenny able to manipulate Amy into being there? Or is Amy not really Amy? Hmm. Or is how can Lenny get Amy there to distract David at the right moment if she's allowing Amy to be herself? Or maybe just Amy just happens to be there in her fake rounds of the hospital. Pretty convenient that she's there at that moment to distract David from what Lenny yes. doesn't want him to see. Yes, that's true. I don't think it's that important. I think it's just part of the illusion. Right. And once again, Amy's so cruel. Yes, this is more of this abuse, abusive mothering thing that, like, we adopted you she mentions the adoption she mentions he says that he, he's unwanted he's they don't love him and it all seems sorts of so things. personal you make us, yeah you make us sick to be around it is so personal and then she does this horrible gagging thing oh, man that is and that is much more sibling like that's <laughs> much more like what you're when you're both in the back seat and you're sitting and you're like i'm feeling a little car sick and your sibling goes uh, uh, to make you try and throw up <laughs> This actually is this isn't a true story about me or anything, but I've definitely heard this is a story uh, yes. of other people. I don't think my sisters were ever that cruel. Yeah, <laughs> like I feel like David when she starts doing that dry gagging, I'm I feel like throwing up. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't make a sound. Don't make a sound. Don't don't subject our listeners to that sound. Oh man, it's awful. It's so bad. And um, what you said before about that she's you know abusive and. Specifically, adoption. Like, there's that's too on the nose to be a coincidence. Mm-hmm. We've, we've wondered earlier in this episode 
how much these are these people Mm -hmm. like is this what amy really thinks underneath is this this does amy have this hostility towards david that she has not been able to express before and now suddenly she's in a position that she can and she can she is talking about how she did not want to adopt him they adopted him because they had to and then he was not a really good brother yeah it's not a nice you know it was not just a regular brother it was a weird brother who did weird things and was mentally ill and had to go to an institution and potentially killed their mother we still don't know what's going on with that yeah so i do think there is maybe an aspect of Amy is holding this in. She all we've ever seen of real Amy is terrified. Yeah. Basically. Or in the past happy. But as a person, you know that there's gotta be something beneath the surface on Amy. She's gotta have some resentments of David. And the last time they interacted, he was acting terrifying. Yes. He took her to their childhood home and threatened her and was, yeah. you know, and that was all didn't, so scary. I mean even if on some level Amy knows, and I don't know that she's been given enough information to figure this out, but even if she can on some level figure out that it was not David being, like David was under the control of something when he was terrorizing her, exactly as you say, the last memory she has of him is of him terrorizing her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if she didn't resent him already, yeah, she sure does now. it makes sense that she does now. Yeah. And she's in a position of power where she can take that resentment out Mm-hmm. Oh, mercy. Yeah, in a terrible way. Um, so... The tiny grave? <laughs> yeah, what is up with the tiny grave? I don't know if we want to talk about it too much, but, like, Melanie makes has this little, like, diorama sort of thing of a tiny gravestone that is maybe representing, like, I'm acknowledging that my husband has died. But then she waters it and teeny tiny flowers come up. Yeah, like, that's weird. Yeah, that's kind of weird. And they know. come up like it's a uh, time lapse. They're coming up and blooming, but then... The, there's no cut we, we pan over to her in real time mm-hmm. and so did that happen in real time are they really there if they were just there and we hadn't seen them grow i would assume that she'd made them out of plasticine and she'd made a little diorama as a yeah. representation of her mourning for her husband but how come the flowers grew that's really weird but i mean it's all fake it's all like part of the illusion this illusion this place isn't real And so things like this can happen. And I mean, and she's doing things like she's watering flowers that are picked. In the first scene, like she's spraying a Gerba daisy that's just like a stem flower that's not in a plant. And so like you don't need to spray a plant that's cut, you know, like she's acting like things are alive when they're they're dead. Yeah. And this is all part of this. But at this moment is right before she sees Oliver And so she's watering something that looks dead and it comes alive. And so it is alive. Yeah, that's very good. She uh, pushes through the wall. Really interesting because David, I mean, Oliver appears on the other side of the wall and we see like the stripe in front of him. Mm -hmm. And then she goes to the wall and she feels that it's just a wall and he disappears. And you're like, oh man, she's just going to like not be able to, it's just all an illusion. But then she pushes through it. Yeah. And what she gets to, she walks through a hallway, and what she gets to is the room in the real world. And when she pushes through it, her clothes change. Yeah, yeah. She goes back into her... She goes back into her clockwork... Or she goes back into her Summerland outfit. Yeah. Uh, 
and her hair and her makeup yeah, in Summerland. Yeah, exactly the same as she was in that previous And she's scene. wearing the gloves that she uses to try to touch the bullet, but can't. Mm-hmm. It's too hot or it's too painful. Mm-hmm. She just can't change the scene at all. And so they need to come up with a different solution. Yeah. And the... Do the, what do the eyes on the wall there mean? Does this mean that the yellow, the that Lenny can see them here where they are still? Lenny's yeah, still watching them? I'd say so. I mean, she's there in that room. She's not physically there, but she's there in David. And so she knows what's going on. Right. And so I think she's, and she's on the astral plane. And this is all part mm-hmm. of that. So she sees everything. I think that is what those eyes mean. They have not escaped. They have not Lenny's escaped view. by going there. No. She is everywhere because this is all still her illusion. Yeah. And then we get to David and Lenny in Lenny's office. And this scene is like vitally important, I think, for the entire season. When we've heard before, twice now, once from Oliver and once from Carrie, we've heard Lenny the Devil with Yellow Eyes being described as a parasite. Mm -hmm. And now we have... She describes herself. She describes herself as a parasite. She makes a reference to Ophiocordyceps unilateralis, which is a fungus, by the way, that I already knew about, right? We watched yeah, the documentary document- about it not too long ago. Yeah, it was in that nature, that uh, BBC Earth documentary. Yeah, and the shots that they... The, oh, they're straight out of that Straight documentary. out of yeah, that documentary. absolutely. I even heard of it before that, I think. This is a, yeah, a thing where, like, zombie ants. Yes. Super, super gross. I never, ever want to see that shot of the ant thing <laughs> running out of its head ever again. It grosses me out. And Lenny talks. So Lenny talks first about love being like that, mm-hmm. and then later she implies that she is that, like your own walking, talking fungus. Yeah, she implies that she's the fungus to him, who's going to destroy him. And we can say two things about that. We can say first, like a third character confirming, and and the most plausible yet confirming that she's a parasite. Yeah, uh, she's saying so herself, but also. Just to back up with her talking about love is nothing but chemicals in the brain. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, a tired uh, yeah. perspective. But it's interesting coming from Lenny, who is herself nothing but chemicals in his brain. Yes, right? essentially, or yeah. Maybe, or if not, like, there's two ways to think about what Lenny could possibly be, right? Mm-hmm. If she's something in any way physical... The only thing she could be is chemicals in David's brain or some kind of spore or fungus that's causing chemicals in his brain. Yes. Right? I don't think that we have, that we are meant to think that she is in any way physical. No. She's a psychic entity divorced from her body, which means she knows better than anyone the existence of emotion and uh, thought and mind that is not chemicals in the brain. Mm-hmm. She knows better than anyone that reducing the mind to chemicals in your brain is false, right? Yeah. So when she talks about love is nothing but chemicals shooting off in your brain, well, you are a disembodied psychic entity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah, know, you know that there's more of the mind than chemicals in the brain, yeah. right? It just <laughs> seems that of any one to have the perspective... Mm-hmm. It's tired perspective, and it can't possibly be sincere coming from her. Yeah. I don't know. She also says, what's the point in all that? What's the point in babies? And she's like, love leads, basically, love leads to babies. What's the point in babies? And he's like, 
life? What's yeah. The, he's asking, you're asking what's the point of life? Yeah, what's the point of life? Yeah. What you call life. What you call life. So what is what she calls life? Or he, I... Yeah. I mean, well, well, Lenny is speaking, we can call her her. Yeah. Um, and this is something that Potonomy said in What's on the Other Side, and Carrie addressed in What's on the Other Side is, they talk about it like it. And even, uh, what's his name, the Division Three guy. It uh, wears a human face. It wears a human face. Yes. Lenny's not human. She's not just a human's psychic power disconnected from its body she doesn't continue to be human mm-hmm. right and this comes back once again to uh david says that dr Poole once told him i can't remember which episode this is in but david says at some point that dr Poole once told him that monster is a verb not a noun to be a monster you have to do something monstrous mm-hmm. here people keep calling this calling lenny the monster and we have both from her mouth and from other people's mouths, kind of a counterpoint to Dr. Poole's perspective. She does monstrous things, but she also is a monster. Yes. She's not human. She's not just a mutant. She's an older mutant, but divorced from its body and has become, become something that's not a mutant. Yes. And she, like, what you call life, because she's not human or mutant, or, like, she's not yeah, like she's that. she's not alive in that way. Yeah. Yeah. She knows she knows David's real father. Yes. So we have confirmation here. We already know outside of the text, it won't be long before we know, I'm sure, that Professor X is David's father. This Lenny knows David's new David's father, fought with David's father. Yeah. This is him being in Lenny is some kind of revenge, and some kind of he thought we he would keep you away from me. He's we- been with David since the womb. Yeah, and we have Lenny saying that what he wants, what she wants from David is power, but also she also implies that what she wants from David is revenge on David's father. And we know, I mean, I'm not going to be cagey about it. We've mentioned it before that Professor X, right? Yeah. You said that. So she knows Professor X, so she knew Professor X, and her reason for attaching to David in the first place was revenge on Professor X. Yes. Now it's become he's so powerful, she's going to use his power in greater ways. Mm-hmm. And we've talked since the beginning of the show about what is the devil with yellow eyes. I, right way back in our introductory episode, I mm. talked about a mutant who is psychic and had battles with Professor X on the astral plane. Yeah. Um who's was is the shadow king i am pretty convinced at this point that uh lenny had a big battle with professor x once and was disembodied as a result of it and is now coming to get revenge and manifested as a dog named king King. yeah i think the dog's name is your biggest clue so I'm going to just think of Lenny until I get evidence that I'm wrong, which I don't think I'm ever going to get. I'm going to think of Lenny the Double Theo Eyes as the Shadow King. The Shadow That's King. what I think yeah. we have here. And she and she says that she's tired of maintaining this whole illusion and just locks David in a tiny box. So yeah. he's mentally now, he's in his own like grave, essentially. We've seen that this is getting tiring to her. And we imagine, like, again, in terms of Lenny, and we've seen throughout The Devil with Yellow Eyes, Lenny has impulse control issues. Yes, <laughs> she, very much. you know, just does what she feels like often. The, se- the section at the beginning 
psychoanalyzing all David's friends seems like exactly the kind of thing that would be fun once, but like, oh, I'm not going to do that forever. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. <laughs> so she sets it up because it seems like it's a good idea. And then she just gets tired and bored of it. And is mm-hmm. like, forget this new yeah. plan. And we end with uh, Sid mm-hmm. with the diver who is Carrie, not Oliver. We end with Sid in David's childhood bed. She's got the sheets with the astronaut on them. She's got the lamp next to her. She's no longer at Clockworks. She's in David's childhood bedroom. Really? Yes. She's not. She's got all the, she's got all the little elements of David's bedroom, especially she's got the lamp with the constellations on it that we see every time. And the, astro- and the astronaut sheets. And then there comes the diver. And it's not Oliver, it's Carrie. Why is it Carrie? There's something happened between when Carrie met the diver and now something has happened yep. that we're going to, I'm sure, find out about soon. And he removes the headphones that are the crickets yes. and she wakes up. She wakes up. And we get uh, the song and the song. And we'll talk about the song in a second. Yeah. But it's, the lyrics are wake up. Yeah, well, let's go. I mean, we're done the episode. Let's go straight into the music of this episode. If we're done talking about the details of the episode beat by beat, there's two are two overarching things that we want to talk about is the clothes and the music. Why don't we start with the music and why don't we start at the end of the mm-hmm. music? So as uh, Sid wakes up, the song that leads right into the closing credits is Oh You Pretty Things. It's a, a David Bowie song, but not performed by David Bowie, performed by Lisa Hannigan. And as far as I could tell, this recording of it is a new recording for the show by Lisa Hannigan. And it starts off, I mean, the the lyrics that we begin with are in, I mean, a thing that this show does sometimes where it's maybe too on the nose. Uh, It starts up, wake up, you sleepy head, put on some clothes, get out of bed, as uh, Sid wakes up and gets out of bed. Yeah. and then the song is about, seems to be about an alien invasion of Earth and humanity is threatened and you humans think that you're going to survive, but it's time, your time is over. Sounds very David Bowie. It sounds very David Bowie. And it ends, the last lines of the song are, Oh, you pretty things, don't you know you're driving your mamas and papas insane? Let me say it again. You got to make way for the homo superior. Ooh, that's a whole thing. That is a massive thing in X-Men. Yes. I mean, that could be... Magneto is always about Homo Superior. Exactly. He is. That's Magneto's name for what mutants are as Homo Superior. Yeah. And so the idea of conflict between mutants and humans Mm -hmm. is definitely there's a, a reference to that in this particular song. And there's also lines in the song about like a crack in the sky and a hand reaching down. Oh yeah, that's almost like straight out of the episode. The episode, there's cracks in the wall and there's cracks in the sky and there's a hand reaching down and there's giant eyes watching them. And mm-hmm. this is this song is all about like the the illusion of your safety is breaking and something else is coming and it's going to undo everything you thought about the world as you thought it was. Yeah, which make which fits with this episode very well. Yep. Um, so what other songs are in this episode? There's two more. I'm going to go back to the beginning. Um, the major song is the song that Lenny dances to, but yes. we'll deal with that last. Okay. Um, the other two songs are both songs that David plays on his record while he's calm and happy in his room. Mm-hmm. They are both from Foray's Requiem, 
which we mentioned for his requiem back in The Undiscovered. It was there was a movement of Fauré's Requiem playing in the lighthouse, in uh, Dr. Poole's lighthouse, when it was actually Walter. Okay. And Sid and Patonomy are talking to Dr. Poole. And in the background, I don't think meant to be heard by the characters, but heard by us, was P.A. Yesu from Fauré's Requiem. Okay. Now, when David is talking about how he's in such balance and his life is happy now and he feels like he's in control... He puts on a record and it's Foray's Requiem and it's in Paradisium, which is the last movement of the Requiem. And it, like the uh, in Paradisium would suggest, it means in paradise. So he's talking about I'm in control here and everything is wonderful here and the music is in paradise. There you go. Um, Later, when David and Sid are in David's room and he's painting her, he puts on a record again and it's again Foray's Requiem. And it's uh, liberami, which means is um, Latin again. It means deliver me, deliver me, O Lord, from death eternal on that fateful day. Mm, like he's almost he needs Sid to deliver him exactly in that moment. That's interesting. And there's a, I mean, the specific meanings of those two movements in those two sections seem like they make sense. And then there's also just he keeps playing a requiem. Requiem is a mass for the dead. And Sid has talked about in her dreams that they're all dead already. They just don't know it. Yeah. And he is playing his own mass for himself, who is dead, and for all his friends who are dead. And it's like the happy parts of it, sort of, especially in Paradisium. But it's a musical cue that, again, on some level, David is aware. Yeah. Uh, he ignores it, and he is lured into a sense of complacency, but there's subtle hints that on some level he knows that things aren't right. On some level, he, just like Sid, knows that he's dead. Yeah. Um, the song that Lenny dances to yes, is... that's the major song in this episode. The major and most memorable song of this episode. And is what we named the episode after. It's yeah. a new day we're calling this one. It is Nina Simone, Feeling Good. Mm-hmm. And it... Uh, Lyrically, it's a pretty straightforward song. It has, you know, birds flying high, you know how I feel. Sun in the sky, you know how I feel. Breeze drifting by, you know how I feel. It's a new day. It's a new dawn. It's a new life for me. Yeah, it's a new dawn. It's a new day. It's a new life for me, and I'm feeling good. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. The song itself is everything's great, and I feel great, and the music is so upbeat. Mm -hmm. but it becomes incredibly creepy because of the character it's associated with. Yeah, because it's Lenny so who's like, I feel good. Yeah. Well, if Lenny feels good, that is bad news for us. For everybody else. Yeah. And it's a fantastic song because even, even on its surface, it's a song about feeling good. Lyrically, it's about feeling good. And lyric- and musically, it's powerful and compelling. But you, it's not, you know, sweet. Mm-hmm. It's not innocent sounding musically it's got this heavy bass and it's got this like grinding uh sax and it's got it's got a real edge to it musically it's part of what makes it so compelling and so good but it fits really well with this like it's a new day and i'm feeling good and what i'm going to do with that new day is kill you all yes (laughs) exactly yeah yeah Yeah. definitely that's such a good choice such a, a excellent song for that sentiment. Yeah. 
So let's get into what they wear in this episode, the clothing that they all wear. Uh, they're all in, uh, all our major characters are in Clockworks uniforms. Right. But there are variations on those uniforms and everyone is wearing a different variation on it. Mm-hmm. Melanie is dressed in this red shirt with a long brown coat over top. At first I thought it was like a long men's coat, like a dress coat. But watching it again, I realized it was a house, like a house coat, like a robe over top of it. Uh, she's wearing the exact same thing as Lenny wore in episode one. Interesting. Why is Melanie wearing what Lenny wore? I don't know. Uh, I'm not really sure the significance of it. I just noticed it and was like blown away that Melanie of all people is wearing what Lenny wore. And there's a connection between who's trying to control David. Right. In this world, Melanie or Lenny. And obviously Lenny has more control over him. That Lenny that wore that wasn't the Lenny that's in his head, really. Yeah, I mean, we're still, we assume we that still that speculate on that, but I would... The Clockworks I, Lenny is a different Lenny. Yeah. Yeah. I'm comfortable saying that. Yeah. Her hair, Melanie's hair is really childlike. She's got the little brett and she's, and I said, as I said before, she looks like 30 years older than she, than she usually does. She's not put together at all. She's whirling her hair all the time. Mm. But there's always, as always, red in these episodes. Red is very associated with things. And there's three characters wearing red. Melanie wears a red shirt. Tonomy wears a red shirt with a black and red jacket. And Walter wears orange and red as well. Hmm. So we've got Tonomy and Melanie are both controlling David in a way. And then Walter is the bad guy. That's kind of my interpretation of them all wearing the red. Amy has her black and white nurse's uniform and red fingernails. Does she? Yes. Oh. So she's got these blood red fingernails and you see them when she feels up Sid. Notice the red fingernails. So that makes her this kind of villainous red with her. Uh, I like the what you say about red in terms of controlling yes. characters who are controlling David. Because mm-hmm. Walter, I mean... Walter's the one who shot at them. So yes, in one sense, he's really he is controlling David's future, or he has already done something that will control David's future, or potentially will. Yep. <clears throat> Amy, with red fingernails, is like a tiny amount of control. Yeah, she's trying. The trying. Yeah. And the fingernails specifically are like a malicious, for sure, mm-hmm. her claws. Yeah. Uh, makes me think of Tennyson. Uh Nature, red in tooth and claw. Yes. Um, We have Carrie and Carrie are wearing kind of standard clockworks uniforms, the yellow and the black and the orange and the black. They're not wearing the exact same thing, which Mm -hmm. I thought was interesting. I think it's a good choice. I think it's a good choice, too. too. Yeah. Uh, Sid and David are both in the orange jackets. Sid's has a white stripe and David has a yellow stripe and he's got a yellow shirt underneath his. Uh, David's yellow stripe... And yellow shirt makes him seem sunnier. Like yeah. He's, kind of, he's happy in this place and he's got a sunny yellow shirt. And it does later on kind of have this paint that looks like blood on it, which is less happy. But I definitely agree with you. His color palette is very yeah. cheerful. I noticed in Happy Jack, Sid almost always, I am not confident with saying always, but I, if not always, close to always, wore a black shirt and orange pants. Yeah. And here she's wearing an orange shirt and black, and black pants. Yeah, she's the opposite. So she's inverted of what she was like yeah. in 
Happy Jack. Yeah. I think we've already talked mostly about what Lenny wears. She's got the clear glasses that she takes off and on that seem to be like her mask when she's taken off the glasses sometimes. Yep. She wears the black turtleneck. She wears a red belt. She has these cool checkered socks yeah. that are red and black and white, kind of like the checkerboard that the yep. carrying carrier playing checkers at one point. She has the silver nails again. So she's got kind of the claws, the sil- these silvery claws. Uh, she's got the fishnets and underwear in the dance scene with the same turtleneck. So she kind of maintains this like closed off upper part with the like brand new sexy legs lady. I don't know. I think uh, maybe the turtleneck symbolizes her still being closed off. I feel like the turtleneck is a continuity, but I don't think it's about closed offness. Yes. Okay. I, I think it's a great costume. Yeah. <laughs> And you look so yes, good. Yes, Okay. Anyway, so yeah, she's got the little catch of red with the red. She always has the red belt on. Yes. So that's a little bit of a, another thing there. I think yeah. that's, I mean, it's the touches of red on everyone was, was definitely a new thing in this episode that made me notice. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of red on the Clockworks uh, uniforms back in Happy Jack. I don't think there was... Well, Lenny had the red shirt. Just Lenny. Yeah. there In the background, there was some people... With red shirts. Um, and I don't know if this has any meaning, but Potonomy's hair is slightly different. His uh, Yes, right. Yeah, he, he definitely, he's grown in the sides. Yes. And it does, it makes him look softer. It does, exactly yeah. makes him look softer. More, it's not quite as, as put together and sharp. He's just a little soft and like. And his performance gonna... too, like he's, we've seen this, this Potonomy before. He's, throughout this whole episode, Potonomy's always the Potonomy who was talking to David with milk. Yes, exactly. Right? He's the softest version of Potonomy, the friendliest version of yeah. Potonomy. He doesn't have any of the suspicion of David and the hardness that comes with that throughout yes. the rest of the season. Yeah, he sure is. Yeah. Well, I think that brings us to the end of our podcast. So... So, if people wanted to get in touch with us, Jan, how would they do that? Well, uh, if you want to continue this conversation, if you notice things that we haven't noticed or talked about, or if you just want to have a little chat about Legion, you can talk to us on Twitter. Uh, we're at ClockworksCast. You can send us an email if you want to talk for more than 140 characters. Uh, ClockworksCast at gmail.com. And especially, um, we're going to be doing a season wrap-up episode when we're done talking about the whole season. If you have things that you think we should talk about in that season wrap-up, that'll be, the season wrap-up episode will be a time that we'll potentially, we'll read things that you have to say, read your thoughts, uh, and an email might be a good way to send those thoughts to us. Our website is goodstuff.fm slash clockworks. And if you'd like to support us, you can leave a review on iTunes. Any reviews help to bump us up and help other people find us. Or more directly on patreon.com slash clockworkscast, where you can donate a dollar a month or whatever you can afford just to help us out a little bit. If you don't like our sound quality, we're going to get better microphones if we can get some support. <laughs> <laughs> so that's about it for us. Uh, I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. Goodbye. Goodbye.